0: Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter.
1: And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural.
0: If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice, thank you. In our last episode, what was supposed to be a happy reunion dinner for Joe and Jared, went from bad to worse when, very publicly, Joe was grilled by a concerned citizen about the investigation into the Dalton Girls' murder and their waitress let slip confidential details she should never have known concerning the murdered family found up at Mirror Lake. And now, without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Tim sat with his eyes closed. He hated it, but at moments like this, he thought of Cynthia. He'd learned two things from Cynthia, two things that he'd found useful from that loathsome woman who had been fated to be his mother, who had tormented him through all those years he spent growing up. Cynthia had not only emotionally abused him and his father, but physically abused both of them as well. His years at home had been a nightmare, a nightmare he had cut short when he left for college. He'd been able to get a scholarship and had worked to earn the money for room and board, so he could finally remove himself from the untenable situation at home. When he left for college, her last words had been burned into his memory. He could still hear her smug, contemptuous voice. You're going to fail at this, and everything else you do, you're going to fail just like your father. As always, she punctuated her statement by blowing smoke through her nose from those foul cigarettes. He often wondered if she thought that added more credence to what she had to say but to him she looked like a hideous dragon that had climbed out of a dank, slimy cave, a monstrous dragon that needed to be slain. A few times growing up, he had wished he could have been one of those dragon slayers and chopped off her head. "'You'll fail, just like your father.' He had looked at her and tried to reply in a cutting and disdainful voice, a voice meant to mimic her own arrogance. "'I pray you die from cancer,' I pray it eats you up and that your death is slow and hard. She looked into his eyes for a long moment with a sneer on her face without showing any signs of anger. She always had perfect control over her emotions. As usual, her gesture said everything. She slowly turned her head to the left and up. That meant in her mind, she had dismissed him and everything he had to say. Yes, he had learned two things from Cynthia how to take control of his emotions, and the fine art of manipulation. Tim smirked. He finally had Greg Vivian just where he wanted him. After he left Barry Benoit's house last night, he had climbed into his SUV, placed the key in the ignition, and turned on his headlights. Directly in front of him, coming down the bank out of the woods, with blood all over his coat and his pants, was Greg Vivian. Later on, he had heard that they had found the little Dalton girl's mutilated body in the woods just above where he had seen Vivian. He always knew Vivian was an animal. Now people would believe him. Who would kill a kid like that? He was probably high on drugs and lost it. Now everyone at the mill would understand why he had Vivian fired. People who took drugs were capable of anything, and this proved it. His call to Barry Benoit had been a calculated risk. He knew the two of them were friends and thought that Barry would try and warn Vivian about what Tim had seen and what Tim was about to do. He was sure that Barry would alert Vivian that Tim was going to tell Bill Bannister about what he saw. Whether Vivian was guilty or not really didn't matter. It was up to the law to decide that. But if it talks like a duck and walks like a duck, god damn it probably is a duck. Tim hoped that Vivian would try to run. That's what sick animals like that did. They ran and hid. Tim figured that most people in town would think that only guilty people ran. He was hoping that Greg Vivian ran like the devil was after him, because that would make the God-fearing people of Grover's Notch believe that he was guilty as sin of killing that little girl. When they went out hunting the son of a bitch, one of them might just accidentally shoot and kill Vivian. And that suited Tim just fine. A triumphant smile crossed Tim's face. Kathy Ann heard the door slam and then the jingle of metal as Tim dropped his keys on the foyer table. She closed the freezer door and picked up the two glasses, trying to make it into the dining room before he got there, but she was too late. He was standing behind his chair at the head of the dining room table staring at her as she came through the kitchen door with two water glasses filled with ice. Kathy Ann, where's my dinner? He asked calmly, deliberately. She knew what that tone of voice meant. She set the glasses down on the table. She could tell he was ready to fight, and she didn't want to participate. But that didn't matter. She knew that he would fight anyway. It'll be ready in a minute, Tim. I just have to plate it, Kathy Ann replied uneasily. What do you do all day? Is it so hard for you to have my dinner on the table? That's all she heard. She shut his voice out. What is it that he wants from me? I don't understand. I do my very best to please him, but it seems like it's never enough. Her head was throbbing. She began to rub her temple with her fingertips. Oh, God, I don't know how much more of this I can take, she screamed in her mind. She wanted to say, Tim, I hate you. I'm leaving you but what came out was, Tim, you're hurting me. He had moved across the room and grabbed her upper arm. He pulled her close to him, squeezing her arm, twisting it. She could smell his acrid breath from the cups of coffee and long hours at the mill. I'm going to take a shower. When I come down, I want to see my dinner on this table, and it better be hot. Do you understand me? He said, pulling her closer and staring into her eyes. Now her head was pounding. She began to rub her temple with her fingertips again. Stop that! You know it annoys me, he said, giving her head a quick butt with his head and shoving her away. She lost her balance and fell back against one of the dining room chairs. Kathy Ann righted herself. Her fingertips went from her temple to the narrow point just between her eyes where his head had butted hers. She began gently rubbing with her eyes closed. She could feel him staring at her but she told herself that she wasn't going to look at him. She wasn't going to open her eyes. But like a sparrow, drawn to a cobra's hypnotic stare, she could feel her head slowly rising and her eyelids opening and finally found herself staring into those dark, angry eyes of his. Yes, Tim, was all she could manage to say. She watched as he turned and started up the stairs. Kathy Ann rubbed her arm where he'd squeezed it. It was just above a black and blue mark from a similar incident the day before. She moved through the dining room and back into the kitchen. Her side still ached from yesterday. She pulled her bruised arm back against her side. She inhaled bitter lip and wiped the tears from her eyes with the back of her hand. She didn't know why it suddenly became clear, but it did. Maybe it was the way he spoke the look of what she perceived to be disgust he had had on his face as he squeezed her arm, but she suddenly realized that it was never going to change, no matter what she did. If she didn't do something, she was going to die here. She looked up at the ceiling, listening carefully for the sound of the shower. When it began, she listened for several seconds before she quickly walked with determined steps from the kitchen to the foyer where Tim had left his keys. Carefully, quietly, she took the remote for the car off the key ring, slipped it into her pocket, and returned to the kitchen. When Tim Harvey came down the stairs 20 minutes later, Kathy Ann served him his dinner, and then she sat down. Damn it, Kathy Ann, these rolls are cold. I'll warm them up, Tim. Shit, can't you do anything right? He threw the cold roll down into the basket and glared at her. I'm tired of this shit. You better get with the program. Do you understand me? Kathy Ann didn't reply. She got up and walked nervously to his end of the table to pick up the basket. The problem here is I've made things too damn easy for you, but that's going to change. I'm sorry, Tim. I made a mistake, she replied quietly. He shoved the basket of rolls into her arms. Kathy Ann walked into the kitchen. She placed the rolls back into the warming drawer, set the timer and leaned against the counter. She stared at the kitchen door as if she could see through it. She decided she was going to do it. She felt nervously in her pocket for the remote to the SUV. The buzzer rang. She carefully drew in a breath and took the rolls back into the dining room. Tim glared at her. So you're sorry? I don't think you're really sorry. Not yet. She realized that he was just as angry as he had been when she left the room. She tried to think of a way to diffuse his anger. That bastard at work tried giving me a hard time, but I made him sorry. I got him fired. But he's not as sorry as he's going to be. What's his name, Tim? She asked, hoping to divert his anger away from her. Tim glared at her. What's his name, Tim? What the fuck do you want to know for, Kathy Ann? He asked, obviously irritated by the question she had just posed. Cathy Ann dropped her eyes and stared at her plate. It wasn't going to work. Her question had only made it worse. Tim picked up the serrated knife and looked at her. I was just trying to make conversation, Tim, she replied. You try to do a lot of things, but you fail at all of them. For example, he held his index finger up and dropped his wrist, pointing at his plate. This food is cold. Kathy Ann rose from her chair and walked to the end of the table again to pick up his plate of food. He grabbed her wrist with his left hand, staring at her with those cold eyes of his as he rhythmically tapped the serrated knife blade on the table with his other hand. She winced with pain, her eyes wide with fear. We heat it, he said, releasing her wrist and placing the serrated knife next to the cake. The high, dry grass made a hissing sound as Vivian moved through it. A football field ahead of him. He saw the lights from the Harvey house, and beyond that were the lights from Conrad Hampton's house. He stopped, knelt in the grass, and slipped the rifle from his shoulder. He placed his scope on one of Tim Harvey's downstairs windows. Through his scope, he saw Kathy Ann hurry past the window. He waited. Suddenly, Tim came into view. Vivian clicked the safety off and placed his finger on the trigger. A warm feeling of satisfaction swept through him, knowing that his 30-odd six would explode Harvey's head like a large, ripe pumpkin. He sucked air slowly into his lungs, eased it out, and set his aim by placing the crosshairs of the sight just below Harvey's left eye. At that moment, he didn't feel the cold or the hunger that he'd dismissed during his long hours trekking through the woods. He felt completely confident and justified in what he was about to do. He began squeezing the trigger. The pull on his trigger finger was only a few ounces away from sending Tim Harvey to hell when he heard something in the field. He didn't move. He was stock still. He waited. It was a rustling sound, the sound that someone makes as they walk through leaves, but he couldn't tell where it was coming from. Seconds went by, but he saw no one. The sound had stopped. He listened intently. There wasn't a sound. He was used to being outside, night, day, any season, and all kinds of weather. He knew that didn't happen. There was always some kind of sound. He held his breath. He could feel his heart beating. But still there was no sound. He could feel the hair on the back of his neck stand up. Something was wrong. It's just those damn pills, Vivian, he thought to himself. They've got you flipping out. Hunter was right. You've got to give them up. It was as if he'd forgotten what he was supposed to be doing for a few minutes. He'd been so distracted by what he'd heard and then what he hadn't heard that he'd almost forgotten that he'd had Tim Harvey in his crosshairs. He looked through the scope once more, but by then Tim Harvey had stepped away from the window. He had lost his chance. God damn it, Vivian swore in frustration, as he took a deep breath and blew it out hard, the vapor billowing out in white steamy clouds, like great puffs of smoke, making him look like some menacing dragon that had suddenly lost its fire. He stayed motionless for a moment, hoping that Harvey would step back in front of the window. Then it hit him, a wave of nausea. He lowered his rifle, fell forward on both hands, and began to dry heave. It was the pills he'd taken earlier. They were beginning to kick in. After his retching had subsided, he moved back into his kneeling position and raised his rifle, placing his scope back on the downstairs window. There was someone standing there, but the drugs had caused his vision to blur too badly to determine whether it was Tim or Kathy Ann he had in his crosshairs. He lowered his rifle. He decided that he was going to have to deal with Tim Harvey the old-fashioned way, up close and personal. He got up, staggered a little, and moved forward across the meadow until he reached an old weathered hay wagon that stood some 25 yards from the Harvey house. He laid his rifle carefully in the wagon and proceeded forward. He stopped in the shadows beneath a tree that stood just off to the side of the kitchen door. He could hear Tim yelling at Kathy Ann inside the house. His voice seemed to grow louder. Kathy Ann sat at the dining room table. She slipped her hand into her pocket and pressed the remote for the alarm. There were two quick squawking noises when the SUV alarm went off. Its lights came on and filtered in through the dining room window. What the fuck? Tim yelled as he jumped up from the table. Kathy Ann rose and picked up Tim's plate and was about to turn toward the kitchen when Tim shoved her aside. Get out of my way, Tim snarled as he pushed past her. She followed him and watched as he went into the kitchen, turned on the outside light, and walked out the kitchen door. He left the kitchen door ajar and she could see Tim as he stood for a moment on the small porch and watched him look around before he started down the steps. Kathy Ann hurriedly placed Tim's plate on the kitchen counter and quickly returned to the dining room table and picked up the serrated knife. She looked carefully at the blade. She took the knife with her as she moved swiftly through the kitchen toward the door. Vivian heard the sudden loud squawking of a car alarm and saw the flashing of its lights. He stayed within the shadows, waiting. The porch light came on and the kitchen door flew open. Vivian drew his knife from its sheath with his ungloved hand. The cold bone of the handle felt good in his hot, moist hand. He slowly worked the handle of the knife, turning it in a slow circular motion in his palm. He wasn't going to miss this chance like he had just minutes before. Tim Harvey came out of the house and walked toward his SUV. Vivian began to move slowly out of the shadows, stopping when another figure appeared in the doorway and stepped outside. The figure moved toward Tim, its arm above its head. Tim's back to it. Vivian sheathed his knife. Kathy-Anne quietly followed Tim down the steps and onto the paved driveway. She walked up quickly behind him the knife she carried in her right hand raised above her head. He started to turn and she plunged the knife into his back once as hard as she could. The blade flexed and she withdrew it. He groaned and staggered forward. She followed him as if in a trance, eyes wide, locked on his body. She raised the knife a second time. Suddenly, a large gloved hand pinched her nose closed and covered her mouth so tightly she couldn't breathe. At the same instant, it grabbed her hand with the knife in it. Her free hand grabbed and struggled with the gloved hand. The strong arm it was attached to pulled her back against a hard body. A naked hand had wrapped itself around the hand in which she held the knife. It felt as if she were caught in a vice. The hand that held her hand so tightly that it hurt controlled her arm's every movement. Even when she tried to resist, she still didn't have control over it. It was as if her arm didn't belong to her. She watched as Tim half-turned. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw the flash of red, yellow, and brown as her arm was forced forward, plunging the knife into Tim's chest so hard that the blade flexed again and broke. Tim screamed and stumbled backwards against the tan SUV, his mouth open. He slid down the smooth metal surface of the vehicle, leaving a crimson trail of blood. He hit the ground hard, He sat there for a moment, stunned, before slumping and falling to one side on the tarred surface of the driveway. Kathy Ann frantically struggled against the unknown assailant. Her arms still held high in the air, her lungs burning, her body starved for air, suddenly realizing that she might be the next victim. Her eyes grew larger, her mind began to grow fuzzy. Things around her were becoming dark and dim. She was losing control. It was becoming harder to fight against her assailant. Whoever it was pushed her forward hard. She tripped over Tim's outstretched legs, fought to catch her balance, was unable to recover, and hit the pavement on her outstretched hands and knees, scraping them and gasping for air. She slowly raised her head, eyes watering, vision blurred, and saw what looked to be a large mass of leaves retreating into the darkness. She looked around, and in her dazed state, she tried to make sense of what had just happened. She looked at Tim's prostrate body lying there. It came to her. A weak smile slowly crept across her face as she continued to greedily gasp for air. She began to scream, allowing herself to become hysterical. She knew that the Hamptons would be home and they would hear her screams and come to help.
0: And now, a preview of our next episode. While the dinner at the end was most assuredly a celebratory occasion for two friends who hadn't seen each other for a few years, it was also an opportunity used by Joe and Anne to set Jared and Laura up on a blind date. Will anything come of it? Is there any chemistry between the wounded detective and the young shopkeeper? Several women in town keep seeing a dark-colored truck parked outside their houses at night. Who does the truck belong to? Does its owner have any connection to the events turning the small town upside down? Please consider joining our Patreon site and becoming a dreadnought. For only $3 a month, our Dreadnoughts get early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic commentary by the authors of the books and the creators of the podcast, exclusive access to episodes of the second half of each book as those episodes are released, and access to the entire back catalog of episodes as our podcast goes forward. Click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.